Welcome to Listening to Paint Dry with Mike and Dan, a podcast about the art and hobby of miniature painting. I'm Mike. And I'm Dan. Thank you very much for joining us on our continued quest to become better, braver, happier painters. Hey, Dan, guess what? What? It's been two years. Two years? Yep. January 28th is our second anniversary. We've been at this thing for two whole years. Well, if you count the year it took you to get the first episode, it's kind of like three years. Okay, I'll give you that. It's a fair point. It took me quite a while to get that first episode out. But but anyways, are you interested in some statistics? Of course, I'm always interested in stats. So just so you know, combining all the mini episodes, special episodes, and the regular episodes we produced... We now have 80 over 80 hours of content in 54 downloadable episodes. And we've also interviewed 41 artists and we've hit over 95,000 downloads. And we have what? Six listeners. Yes, they are. No, actually remember we got up the double digits. We may have lost a few. We we, we may have lost a few because of some of the bad humor we've had and some of the terrible jokes, but we really appreciate those, you know, we'll say set between seven to 10 listeners who have just been downloading the episode like crazy. And what would it be a podcast without my dog barking in the background? Of you know? course. <laughs> um, so, yep. Yeah, you know, but that's pretty cool. I thought. Yep. We're really not going to waste any more time blabbering on. Let's get to this interview. All right. It sounds good to me, man. So, dear listeners, it's my pleasure to introduce world-renowned miniature painter, founder of Massive Voodoo, an amazing teacher, artist, and friend, Roman Lapotte. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, everyone. <laughs> you know, uh, this is this is so awesome. We uh, when Dan and I first originally started hashing out the idea of uh, the podcast, you were one of the first people like, oh, we got a Roman on. So really excited that you're going to be, you're going to be here to celebrate our second anniversary with us, which is just totally awesome. I feel very honored to be with you. Finally. Um, I remember <laughs> you asked me earlier and I wasn't um, finding the right time and moment. So I'm really happy to be here with you. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. We figured it would play out at some point. And so, um, so if you wouldn't mind, could you give our listeners a little bit of your hobby origin story? Sure. Um, my name is Roman. And um, in the meantime, I I mean, I always loved miniature painting. But when I, I started actually with being a kid and finding um, StarQuest at a friend's place um, and what got really fascinated by Space Marines, of course, and uh, started painting them with Revel paints and really cheap paints with toothpicks because I had no brushes. And then I kind of lost this hobby again. So, and when I was around 17 or something, I found a hobby store close um, in, in my hometown and entered the hobby again, you can say, and um, made a lot of friends there, played um, games and started painting again. This is how I was drawn into the game. You can say with HeroQuest and StarQuest and then of course Warhammer, um, 40K and Fantasy, the good old days and more time. I loved more time very much. So, yeah, that's where I'm coming from. Excellent. You know, and I remember um, a few years ago, you had posted a picture of you holding a model airplane with your grandfather. Um, 
did did he kind of start you out in model airplanes or um will you talk to us a little bit about that mm, that's that's actually true i mean my my granddad he kind of you can say when i was like five or six up to seven years old he kind of showed me um, his hobby his hobby was like plane building scale modeling and he um, i still remember i mean he's he's gone in the meantime um he was a great granddad granddad and he showed me how to build them um, and he was always like when he built when he finished one he was hanging them them on in the roof um in the living room under the roof um, my grandmom um she was really angry with him about it <laughs> there was so many planes and it was really it was a great hobby for a granddad and um, grandson and he always also took me out in nature very often so he showed me these two things that i in the meantime love in my life like nature observing nature being comfortable in nature and finding peace in nature and also taking time for or investing time to focus on one one thing and he actually made put that brick down in the basement yes you can say that's very cool very cool yeah i noticed that uh um on one of your other instagram accounts tale of the banana whale uh it's a a lot of beautiful nature pictures and things that you observe as well thank you so what made you decide you wanted to take your painting to the next level mm, this is a hard question um the, it's hard to answer because what is the next level so um I think as soon as you do something, whatever it is, maybe drawing, painting, um, working out, whatever, you will always hit the next level by just doing it. Um, and I think when with painting, I, I felt it coming when I was in gaming, actually, and I was like painting my first unit. The second unit looked differently because I learned a lot of things and, and changed my way of painting the third unit. I didn't like the first unit when I finished the third unit, so my there was no consistency in my army painting. That's why I never properly played actually, because I rather painted, um, enjoyed painting more. So I would always say um, there was no decision to get better. You can say um, I, I just got better while doing it and enjoyed just the process of always finding um, new inspiration and new techniques and, and putting more things in my toolbox. You can say. Just made me grow. I mean, you can say painting made me grow in painting. But there was never a decision of saying, now I want to hit the next level. Because I learned for myself that um, you cannot force a next level, a, a level up. It will just happen when you, when some, some things fall in place. And they fall in place individually. Like um, Mike, for example, will um, have will have a click moment in next year in this in this topic. I will have a click moment um, in two weeks about this topic, and then we'll have a click moment about the topic in two years or something. It's just like how everybody's individually um, evolving, and so there is no for me there is no next level inside. You can say. Nice. Um, so that kind of changes the nature of the second the next question. <laughs> um, were, were there any um, techniques or anything that uh, as you were uh, 
developing that you kind of struggled with? I know one of the common themes that people hear here, like for me, it's wet blending. I know people have non-metallic metals and things along those lines that they struggle with. Were there any of those type of techniques that um, you felt were challenging or and um, if so, kind of how did you push through them? Mm, you can say there was no, not a certain technique I struggled with. I always struggled with patience. Means um, if, if you take enough time to learn something, you will get better in this. It's working with non-metallic metal or so on. You just have to study the topic and then you have to throw in time and invest time and then you learn. So I'm not, I can say I don't like, for example, I don't like to paint non-metallic metal because it takes so much time and I'm not a patient person. Um, I struggled with, for example, a lot of, while I grew to the painter I am today, um, a lot of people told me, hey, Roman, you have to be, you have to paint more smooth blendings. You have to do this. You have to do this. And these are the rules and you go have to go this way. And I can say I struggled once really hard where I was like following this path when, when I tried to follow rules of others. And I got really unhappy, um, kind of depressed, you can say, in my painting mood. And... I got out of the, there actually with Alfonso Giraldo's help. Um, actually, Alfonso healed me um, by telling me my my own nature as a painter, um, and he showed me that I can paint differently than just paint like I who, who I am. So I can be brave, I can be bold, I can use bru use brush strokes, brush strokes, and enjoy painting miniatures in my personal approach. And this really was the hardest task I had to conquer, and uh, it freed me. So Alfonso brought me freedom in that. So that's where I found myself. That's awesome. Yep. Can you talk about how you got into teaching miniature painting? This is actually um, connected to my studying. Um, I studied to become a teacher, actually, for art and art history and um when i was studying i had to make a decision on how i want to make money during university and i actually started to paint armies back then for friends and everything so this was actually how i got through um university and earned some money and um in the end i came out as a teacher and i didn't i really enjoyed teaching with kids in school and everything and had a lot of practical exercises but never was happy with the content I was forced to teach when I work for the state or something. And a lot of friends started to ask me, hey, Roman, would you like to do a workshop, um, for example, in Austria or Germany? And with my teaching background, I decided to give this a try. And um, yeah, I never became a teacher for the state. Um, I be just became a teacher for miniature painting. And that's what I'm doing since 2009 now. And I'm, I'm loving it, you can say. It's really a wonderful thing to show people insight into what I do because they can level up and I, can, I do level up while teaching. Yeah, that's what was, was going to be my follow-up. Like, how has uh, teaching impacted your, pa your painting? It's, it's crazy. It's, um, it's really hard to describe because the more you teach, I mean, I'm a really taught a lot of students in the meantime and every time I learn something new um, 
I have these click moments where I have to find um, the perfect way to explain one thing to one individual person, because you always have to know there are four different types of students. There is one student who learns by listening. There's one student who learns with visual, with um, practical exercise. And there's one student who learns with visual examples like uh, pictures. And um, then you have the fourth one, which is a combination of these. So um, trying to find um, the, the ways to explain my information that I want to teach um, to everyone really brought brought down or, or taught me um, that there are so many different ways to reach a goal um, and just helped me also for my painting because I now see, okay, this most important for me is the goal and then there are a thousand ways to reach that goal. There is not only one way which is the right way, there are different ways and different student need, students need different ways to, to get to that goal. Um, and this was really a wonderful lesson I learned from teaching to, to accept that this is individually and happens individually. Is there a favorite topic you like to teach? Mm, the one with the biggest click moment, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I realize that very often in the meantime for private lessons or everything, I get the same questions appearing like, hey, I want to learn how this all connects um, better. I don't want to paint with receipts anymore. Um, I'm kind of stuck. I feel I'm hitting a wall. And I, for my part, learned um, I have this one topic, which is called about how to paint atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And this is really something I do teach a lot because it helps the most. It kind of gives um, an insight or no, it just opens the eyes of my students. It's just like, hey, the world of miniature painting or painting overall is not um, happening only on your miniature. It's or it's actually connected to nature. When you look at things like I did, for example, with my hobby photography, I learned to understand how light influences, for example, a leaf or a tree or a bird or, or, or a stone. And then you understand, OK, environment and light play together um, and if I try, in this lesson, I try to transport this knowledge that your eyes can observe things to miniature painting. And this is just an eye opener. It's just like, OK, what have I done before? I was just cooking with receipts and not enjoying cooking. And this is my main favorite topic that I like to teach because my students gain most of it. That's a, that's a great way. That's, a, you know, that's one of the great ways of putting it. The cooking analogy actually kind of sunk in there. <laughs> um, uh, is there a topic that you haven't taught yet that you would like to teach? Uh, many. <laughs> many. I mean, the things are rushing in my my brain every time I teach um, a private coaching here, a workshop there, a group workshop there. Um, I have new ideas of how I can implement new knowledge, my own journey into the next topic I will teach. For example, I just had this recently, I was teaching a longtime student of mine. He wanted to understand why Frank Frasetta, for example, can paint with every color in the color wheel and achieve great results um, by, by, by just throwing in every color in there. And I was actually also studying this topic some years ago, but not in depth. I never thought I could understand Frank Frasetta more. And so I was preparing myself for this lesson. 
And we actually analyzed um, Frank's work, which is amazing. We, we analyzed it um, in, in terms of recreating the colors he used from the color wheel. And actually, we just painted with um, six colors, you can say. We used um, yellow, purple, and blue and orange, and black and white. And we were able to recreate and mix everything. We kind of copied his paintings in just color um, plan, in a color plan and a guide. And then we we understood how to transport this to miniature painting. This opened up like uh, an endless possibility also for my way of painting. In that actually coaching, I just had these click moments myself. And I, I want to teach that in the future as soon as I'm able to teach it. I mean, it takes time to let the sink to to understand what I'm doing there, and then I'm able to teach this, and I hope this day will come one day. Hey, you bring up something really interesting there, Roman. Um, when we uh, learn like new uh, new painters, we come in and we're like, okay, well, today I need to know how to do um, line painting. I know how to now. I have to learn how to do glazing, and now I have to learn how to do these different techniques. When you talk about uh, uh, your students and it it just the, the way you explain it it's a different level of learning uh your you know the approach of the whole atmosphere and how everything move works together does someone have to have a awful lot of experience or have a lot of experience of in miniature painting in order to take one of your courses or to be a good painter and get where they want hmm. i would say um it depends. Um, of course, the techniques in miniature painting are important, as they are in, in drawing and in everything. Um, technique is one thing, an important thing. So the, the more knowledge you have in techniques, the easier you can approach a theoretical, um, deeper approach on painting to understand it deeper. Um, but I say, I, I mean, I've, I've encountered students who never touched a figure before entering one of my workshops. And I've seen people who um, have a lot of technical um, technical knowledge and the person with not too much knowledge did not struggle at all and understood everything very well. But if you learn too much techniques in without making them yours, what I mean is a lot of techniques nowadays with all the YouTube information and the, the fast information, it is just consumed. So um, you watch this video, you watch this technique, you watch this. And when you paint this, it may, might take two years to understand wet and wet blending perfectly. With perfectly, I mean, it is a part of you and you don't have to think about it while you do it. This is actually when you learned it, when you can just use this as a tool. And um, a lot of people who learn too much techniques or consume too much technical knowledge too fast, um, they are confused. They think, and the technique is the, the, the golden rule, and I have to follow it all the time. And with such a um, strict, yeah, I would say a strict prison, you limit yourself because then you cannot open up for a different approach to reach a certain goal. So a technique is always, um, um, yeah, it, it's just a goal. Like a blending, there is, no, there is no blending technique, I would always say. Blending is the result of different techniques. You can reach a blending with your fingers or paint it with your toe. <laughs> so, yeah, man, I got to tell you that hit 
That hit that the the way you explain that hit so close to home because uh, probably my biggest regret was not I didn't do a, a, like a very good job of learning from your beginner's workshop. I got stuck in stuff that I had heard before instead of actually listening to what you were teaching. And I wish I could go back and just blank slate into that into that class, because even now I'm still grat like it's been three years since we took that beginner workshop and I'm still having aha moments from it. And I feel like I probably would have gotten so much more out of it if I would have just, you know, went in there with a completely open mind and didn't really, you know, kind of I didn't I didn't do a good job listening to you in that so that that just really kind of hit home i'm like i could be your case an example um stop regretting anything i mean you are go you are on your own journey you are doing your journey you took that class once you maybe take another class of mine you learn from other people this is your journey and your journey is just on the right path don't regret anything you can always open your eyes and when you say hey i have a hit um this, this hits home and I understand this thing from nature now, yeah, then something is achieved. Um, but there is no, there is also no golden path that you have to follow. And um, because regretting doesn't bring you anything. That, that's okay. a fair point. That's a fair point. I appreciate that. Thank you. You know, and I, I still, I, I still do the same thing that you do. I, I'm a big fan of the whole uh, just dump and wash on the on the base and moving it around with hands and stuff like that that was you know when i saw you do that i was like sign me up for his newsletter <laughs> so i'm gonna actually follow that up real quick um so as you were all talking i was scrambling on trying to find my notes and uh i was um mike and i were talking um we're getting ready to plan some classes uh some more um podcasts and there was something that was said in some training that I took a couple of weeks ago that I wanted to to do a um, a show about, but I'm going to bring it up here. But I still think we can do a show about this, and it's um and it goes right along the lines of what you're saying about seeing so much information, seeing so many different techniques and everything, you just get kind of bobbled up. And someone said when seeking um when seeking advice, uh, you get a lot of different answers. But you got to find, you got to find yourself. You know, you might know, you know, if you say, hey, what's the best way of of um, blending, for example? Well, there there might be 20, 30 different techniques or different ways of doing it. But you really need to find that one, because if you start, you know, if you do 10 percent of this person and 20 percent of this technique, it maybe it doesn't come out right. It reminds me of that car that Homer Simpson tried to make when he got all the perfect things together and it just horrible. <laughs> it's um, but if you just find that one that really just melds with you and one that really works, that's what you should be working on rather than trying to gather all the information and that's try true. to implement it because it's just too much. Yep. And as as soon as uh, this one technique that fits for your personal um, um, individual style. And you enjoy it and you learn from it and as soon as this hits home and lands in your toolbox you can use it without thinking then you can just check for a new technique or try something else because then you have a foundation um, from which you can just um, pick energies and always be secure in what you do 
if you always try new techniques each um, a new technique each week um, because you have seen a thousand YouTube videos, um, then you will end up uh, like a mess. It, that will not you will not learn from it. That is fantastic advice. Thanks, Dan. That was a great addition. That was really it's it's just like it's a very important topic that um, could that a lot of painters out there are or people everywhere, not only painters, and we are confused because too much information. So sometimes you have to just shut information off and just do. Yeah, and it goes back to that um, the 90-10, 10 percent uh, reviewing and studying, and then 90 percent doing in practice. Absolutely. And, yeah. All right. I'm so glad we're having doing this interview. I'm, le <laughs> I'm learning so much already. Um, so, uh, you know, one of the common themes that we get, Roman, when we talk to artists is when they started out, one of the first places that they found was massive voodoo and um, countless. I mean, uh, uh, of the uh, of our former guests immediately cite that website. Can you talk to us about how it kind of got started? Um, I know you started, I believe, with Raphael Pica. Right. Um, so, yeah, but please, we'd love to hear kind of that, the massive voodoo origin story. <laughs> I was actually um, running around in German forums back then when I started and, and started with my self-employment. So I was actually kind of, you can say, serving or working in five different forums and information was spread everywhere. And people asked me here and there, and then I wrote an article there. I, I um, copied it to this forum and so on. It was really like a mess in organization. And I decided to kind of do a homepage um, for myself where I can collect this information and people can find um, all the information quick, quicker. And um, I will have less stress, actually, because I'm losing hair when I have stress. And um, I don't have much um, hair left. There was a German... <laughs> Another good one, but um, I tried German jokes. Um, so actually, and Rafa back then, he um, I met Rafa as a student of mine on one of my workshops, and he was the kind of the craziest talented student I've students I've ever met. He was like um, asking the most questions ever, and he fulfilled the task. Awesome! It was really crazy, and we we kind of got friends after this, and um, we also came. We we found out that we are from the same town. And we met very often for painting. And um, Rafa back then told me, hey, Roman, why don't you do a blog? The blog was something pretty new back then in 2006, um, seven, uh, pretty, pretty, new, pretty new. And he said it was more dynamic than a homepage. And so I started blogging with Massive Voodoo um, back then. So Rafa asked me also, hey, you have to find a name. And I just came up with Massive Voodoo. I don't know why. It just came out of me. I have no idea. And I was doing this for two weeks alone, and then I asked Rafa if he would join me because it's so boring alone being on a blog. And that's how actually Massive Voodoo started. But there is no real reason for that name. It should sound massive. It does sound massive. And Voodoo is kind of, yeah, for, for me, it's kind of a magic that happens. Um, and we kind of connected with, with monkeys because uh, we were younger than we are right now. Um, <laughs> Back then, uh, with monkeys, you can with monkeys as your avatars, you can do um, a lot of stupid things um, without um, making people angry because we're monkeys. 
<laughs> so right. that's actually it. And the name fitted perfectly to to that kind of style that we kind of um, worked on. And it was really an enjoyable time. It was. That's fantastic. You know, it's and it's really it's grown over the years. It's really just impressive. And the number of times that people are like, hey, how do you paint this? And inevitably on Facebook, you know, somebody asks a question in a group and inevitably a link to an article from Massive Voodoo pops up from somebody like I just even today, uh, somebody asked a question in a forum on skin painting and David Powell what I think is an absolutely yeah. amazing yeah. artist too. put a link to a massive voodoo tutorial. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's beautiful. That's we, we kind of also decided to not put things in front of a paywall or something. We just decided if we, we want to go on a journey with everyone who wants to read on massive voodoo and that journey should be a free ride for all the all the experiences we also do um, or we also went through. So. Uh, there are you can read about fails there you can read about mistakes that we learn from and you yeah massive voodoo grow from itself and that's something beautiful but you, on the other hand you can say nowadays even if it's linked up and everything um kind of life took over um that massive voodoo is not the same like it was in the first four to five years or something um as we all don't have the time to invest there rafa in the meantime he's um not even with miniatures anymore he's working um, in normal industry and, and, and also in an artistic creative business, but he has to feed his family. And from a self-employment and miniature painting, you have to be very, or you have to learn discipline to really be able to um, live, make a life from it. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, and I know one of the things that they always talk. Sorry, Dan, I'm keeping going, but uh, one of the big differences that I hear a lot of U.S. painters that make that choice. Um, say, like the world of health insurance is a huge thing that, you know, in Europe, you, you, you have the, the state health insurance. But here in the U.S., if you if you decide to go out on your own and with no job or and do miniature painting that, you know, you break a leg, it can bankrupt yeah. you, you know. <laughs> yeah, or, or just let something happen with your eyes, just an accident with your eyes. And um, it's, it's really yeah. um, it's not the most secure place to um be as an, but it's also a, a kind of a way of life. You can say deciding that you take these risks and um, have benefits from it because you have freedom in your decisions. Sometimes um, you can you can work with your art. You will you will learn to you will hate your art. You you will have moments where you don't like to paint, but you will push through these and learn from it and grow from it. So it's it's a really it it is a hard decision that can bring a lot of benefits, but also insecurity. Truth. Yeah. So Massive Voodoo actually is still Massive Voodoo. Of course, we will we, um, just today um, a new member um, was um, um, did join the blog and we will we will um, publish him soon. Um, but it's kind of not the, it doesn't um, receive also from from the community nowadays. It's still there. It, it's a, you can say like a big old mountain um, with a lot of gold inside. Yes. Um, but YouTube and other information, it goes faster, it's quicker. It's it changed a little bit, so Massifu doesn't get the same attention as it did before, and which, which is not a bad thing. We are actually in the team. We are actually planning on the future of Massifu, what Massifu will become from now on, what it will be. 
Will it be a blog post still on, or will it be maybe, for example, also a podcast um, group or whatever? We will plan on such things also to go with the future, you can say. So, yeah, definitely. Oh, keep man, you do a podcast, you're going to kill us. Yeah, right. You'll, you'll put yeah. us out of business. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> no, I, I will. I won't. Don't worry. <laughs> but it, it's, it's funny because um, every time I meet up with my massive voodoo friends and everything, or just having a call, we have such deep, interesting talks also from the past and um, what the miniature community is nowadays, like just normal topics of a podcast. And we always sit there and we should have recorded this because it was just a good conversation. And this happened so often recently that we decide maybe we will talk about this in the future because blogging and typing down things takes a lot of time preparing articles. And if you see that um, not many people are reading it, there's also not the greatest motivation behind it. Right. I tell you, I'd listen to that podcast, Dan, for sure. Oh, well, yeah, of course <laughs> I would too. We, we can do crossover productions, actually. Of uh, course. Always. Always. Our door is always open to you, Roman. Yes. Yeah. Um, Dan, you wanted to ask a question? Yeah, sure. Okay, so we're going to switch things up a little bit. Um, can we talk about how you approach a, a project? What do you do to decide on what miniatures to paint or what atmosphere you're going to do? Hmm, I actually only paint, at least that's what I'm telling myself all the time, I paint only what calls me. Calls me means... Um, if I see a figure and I actually directly have a vision for it because it says, hey, I'm the barbarian and I want to stand in that um, lava, blah, 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 and fighting a lava dragon. When I see something like that, I paint something like that. If I don't have a vision, the miniature is often not calling me. It might call me because of, hey, I can paint great leather texture there or I can paint um, interesting hair or face. That might call me, I might get this miniature for myself for painting, but very often it ends up in the drawer and I will mm. never paint it. So um, I learned for myself when I have a direct call of something where I really see the vision and have colors in front of me, an environment around the figure, even if it's a bust or something, I, I see a base that I want to build. Then the call has is so intense that I go for it. I can appreciate that for sure. <laughs> I mean, I just, we all have too much gray resin um, in our drawers. Um, it's also part of the hobby. It's collecting. It's part of it. But um, I, I really say to myself, I will have, there's one drawer in the studio which is packed with miniatures, and I will not open up a second one. So there's only one drawer that I can fill. If this is full, then I have to just sell some other stuff that I don't paint anymore. That's, That's a good policy. Yeah, I know. I like that one because I have like 15 drawers and cabinets full of stuff. <laughs> we see it yep. on the internet all the time about people who have, the, you know, their giant collections of gray. And uh, like, well, when am I ever going to get to it? Even if I do retire and do it full time, I'm never going to get to it. You have to pick a really big drawer for that decision. Right. <laughs> Largest drawer ever. <laughs> uh, so uh, one of the things that uh, I, I always think about when um, I, I think about your your work, um, and it's funny because I'm actually sitting here looking at um, the Spartan poster I got from your class that you signed for me um, that's up on my wall um, right next to, I guess I won a, 
what oh uh, Mr. Lee's mini mini contest and got the spaceman print. Those are both up on my wall for inspiration. But uh um one of the things that's always attracted me to your work has been um how heavily narrative based uh it is. Um so when when you like you mentioned like kind of the barbarian fighting the lob you know in a lava fighting a dragon. Uh kind of how much of the story plays out in your head or um, in in the world of pre-planning, et cetera? I would say all of it. I never think when I look at a project or I start a project, I never think in techniques like I want to paint this like that or want to paint this in this technique or something. I just go full force with um, the vision. The vision is my most um, driving force, you can say. And if the vision is good, then it start it becomes narrative, because when when my mind and every my complete setup as a painter is focused on on the vision, then I already have a story inside me that I want to tell. That's the call that I hear. And um, then while I paint, I just I don't paint miniatures to finish. That's what I always say. I paint until my vision works. So there is no technical, oh, I'm done now with this part because I went from A to C in the technique. It's always like, um, is my miniature working as as the vision that I saw in the beginning? If this suits and if, if this happens, then I'm done. What was that line you said to us in the class? There's no such thing as a finished project, right? I think. Yep. Was it? You just abandoned the project. You can always push on and push on, but when my vision works, I mean, this is most important because for me as a person, personally, the vision is most important. Um, if I would be a painter who um, enjoys um, the te technical aspect more, then the technical aspect can be an end to a project. But it's that's what I mean with individual painters and different people. That's awesome. Yeah, you know, that's one, that's interesting too that, you know, um, you may, I, I don't know. Never mind. I'm, I'm gonna move. I, I can't uh, formulate how what I was gonna say. So I'll let Dan go. <laughs> no worries. Oh, I don't even know where to go with that one. I mean, yeah, my brain is just churning so much right now. Um. So hey, Roman. Um, we've seen in the past where you've done a, a color study. For example, you paint a bunch of uh, minis in a short amount of time. Uh, where green is like the dominant color. Uh, how often do you uh, do these studies? And can you talk to us about the value of doing them? Sure. Um, I, will, I, I know I have my green. You can say green is my favorite color. So um, you will always find green stages or green phases of my work every time, because every time I'm, I don't know what to do, I paint green because I love green. Um, once in a while, I do focus on different tasks, not only on, on color studies, but color studies are important, actually, because they help me. For example, yellow. Yellow is a color nobody wants really wants to paint because yellow is pain in the, in the butt to, paint, to be painted. Um, so when you study and focus on something like that and you grow in, in this task, you will gain from it, of course, because you understand the topic of painting or the approach on painting yellow better. So um, 
I, I can say. Yeah, I can say maybe it's also a little bit about my mood. So um, when I'm, it depends on when when very often the season when the seasons change and in winter I do like to paint winter projects. So I have a lot of blue bro projects and cold projects. Um, in spring and summer I get influenced by by my by the nature that my environment and these things will implement also in my will impact my painting. So maybe two or three months afterwards. But every time the things that, I, that my eyes see and encounter in real life, they will have impact on my painting um, after a certain time period. So, and you will benefit from it because when you focus on things, not only on color studies, but also on technical aspects, focus for a longer time on something, you will grow from it because you will have click moments. So there's definitely, definitely value in it. That's very cool. Um, if you don't mind us asking, uh, I'd, I'd love to talk a little bit about a specific project that you're currently working on. When I first saw your work in progress picture of it that was black and white, I have to admit, I thought it was a still frame from a zombie movie. But can you talk to us about the that the, the massive zombie uh, scene that you're working on, kind of how, how it started? And I know that... Um, for a while, you were collecting painted zombies from from different painters, and so. Yep, I mean, uh, it started actually um, working on this project. It started with also a vision, um, and a lesson. So the vision was I really wanted to create uh, the biggest zombie diorama ever. I had this vision in my head with a bridge and and a thousand zombies climbing up there, and up there there should be. Um, a very, very interesting and dramatic scene. Um, and the lesson was learned from doing such a big project earlier with The Last Light, a diorama about um, space marines and Taronites. And the lesson learned there was like, I cannot do this again in three months. I need time for it. So uh, <laughs> from the project, I started with, okay, I need time for this. And I calculated and planned it a little bit better than The Last Light. And I, in my calculations, I needed around 400 zombies. And then I started painting a zombie. It took me two hours. And I was like, okay, this will take a lifetime. So from it, I learned to, um, I learned to, I forced myself to paint a zombie in 15 minutes with a certain speed painting technique that I in the, mean, in the meantime also teach. Mm -hmm. and, and then I also found out, okay, now I've painted 60 zombies, but I still need more. I need to, I need help. So I opened up um, this question on Massive Voodoo, explained the project a little bit, and um, so many, many, many great people from workshops, from the internet, sent me zombies, painted zombies, um, to be able to um, build this project, actually. And um, in the meantime, I mean, it's now out there since five years. I was collecting zombies for five years now. and just recently moved studio and I was sitting there in the new studio with a friend of mine, with Johannes, and I was sitting there and telling him how much I love to be in the new studio and how much good energies I have there. And I, I told him also, I would like to start with the zombie diorama because it's standing around since a while and I would really love to start with it. And there was silence. And I had to decide, okay, now you can talk about it again or you just start. So. Now, after five years, I just decided to start and it was it's, it's just crazy. It's, it's so unbelievable 
so much joy because you feel like an art director actually saying, hey, these are the zombies I got painted with all the help from all these great people. And now I built the base and now I do the composition. And it's not like you have to paint one zombie after the other. It's just like, okay, I'm placing this guy here. Okay, Elvis zombie has to be there. Um, the firefighter <laughs> will be there. So it's they're more like an art director doing the art direction of this movie scene. And it's an absolutely great experience. And I'm so much enjoy working on it. Um, and we'll actually finish it in the next couple of weeks. Um, I'm, and I'm so thankful to everybody who just helped me there. And it's also from the emotional aspect, it's a bigger diorama than just a diorama. It's like so many people are involved there. So I can imagine having this piece in, on a show where people walk around and say, hey, there's mine, there's mine. Oh, over here, there's mine. Oh, mine is hidden. Oh, there's the Harry Potter zombie. So, and this is something that connects on a different level. That's uh, that's pretty cool. I have a, uh, I want to go back to something and man, I hope this doesn't open up a can of worms or anything. So I apologize if we go down some different kind of rabbit hole, but you were talking about uh, your environment and feelings yep. and um, how important is it to, to have the right environment? It, it may seem like a basic question, um, but, you know, we see people like, hey, I have my desk and it just doesn't feel right. Or I sit on, you know, I sit at the kitchen table. Um, some people have elaborate ones. Some folks have uh, simple setups. But how important is the the environment to 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 help um, to motivate and to continue and have that energy to continue painting? I think it's a good question, Ben. Really good question. I think very important. Um, I mean, I'm doing this as a job, so I'm sitting in this environment very often, and my environment changed. So, um, changed, for example, on one hand, it changed because in small small things. Oh, my water pot is too far away. While when I'm painting in my water, and I always think my water pot is too far away. I'm annoyed by it. Then I move to have to move it closer. So this already changed changes my environment, but also I need to be feel comfortable in the in the big picture. Um, if I would have to go to my painting place and set up everything before I paint, um, I would always there would be a blockade, and I would say, "Ah, oh, today I don't paint because I don't want to set everything up. I really want to sit down there. I even change clothes there because I want to wear clothes where I can just um, smear or smash color on it." So I don't care. I really want to be completely focused on painting. I don't want any distraction. It, for me, I cannot sit down and say, hey, I'm painting for 10 minutes now. I actually need about one or one and a half hour to arrive in my happy space and um, arrive there mentally and physically to be able to paint. Also, my eyes adjust while painting. In the first half hour, I just do rough work. And the more I paint, after four hours, I see a different level of details. So that's also what I need. I need to arrive in in my focus, you can say. So I think the environment is really important. If there are too many distractions or something else, then it's hard to focus. And without focus, you don't enjoy that much. You might not get the results you want. 
Um, so focus is a very important thing and it comes from also environment. Oh boy, that's some that's some deep stuff, man. <laughs> so so just out of curiosity, you did you did say a couple things about getting into your focus and uh, you know adjusting and and not having external, um, I guess things bothering you. Are there any kind of like rituals or um, routines that you do uh, to prepare? for for your painting for on your uh for your own personal painting i know when you're getting ready for a class it gets it's a different kind of mindset but when you're ready for yourself is there anything special that you do not really you can say i mean what i do like is i do like to have um i clean up after a day of painting i clean up my table and um not always but 80 percent I clean up my stuff and then I'm, 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 I have a focus already when I sit there for the next session. So um, this helps me. When I'm in the middle of a project, um, I'm in the meantime, I have some tablets where I just place different projects and put them on my workbench to, to, can, to be able to switch them um, faster. It's also a question of space, of course, but um, cleaning up does help me also sorting brushes, cleaning water, um, for example, I have some plants in the studio, and they will always they only get watered with paint water. So <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm going there, they, they survive really well since years now. I love them. Um, so this is this can be a small ritual you can say when I arrive, I change paint water, clean up, and um, water the plants, speak with them. I'm thankful that they make my studio more beautiful, and then I get new water and so on. So there's a circle of um, yeah, sometimes I, in the meantime, I, in my actual new studio, I have a really big window, a little bit out of nature, and there are two horses far away um, on, a, on a field. Um, I sit there and sometimes watch, just drink a coffee and watch them before I start painting. So um, to calm down, to let um, some life struggles or some things that are in your mind just pass away and just watch clouds and happy little clouds. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's so but, zen, man. <laughs> I know, right? And and you know, we I I think it was inevitable that a Bob Ross reference was going to happen, you know. <laughs> but, but I mean, it can it can be different too. It can be okay. I'm right now. I was in quarantine. Um, I really am looking forward to go to the studio tomorrow. Uh, it might happen tomorrow that I just ignore the plans that I throw in some some heavy metal music and just kick ass. So there is no golden um, meditation rule for that. It just depends on my mood. I was going to ask if um, if you uh, – some people like having absolute quiet and some people uh, have uh, to have background no, noise. No, no, no. That's a lightning round question. Oh, That's is a lightning it? Round Darn question. it. I didn't You're even getting read, ahead uh, of myself. Uh, uh, <laughs> okay, we'll wait. <laughs> well, you got to wait on that one <laughs> for sure. Well, well, actually, we can – you know, it's it's a good time to do it now. Um, we had, we, I warned you a little bit about it in the, uh, before, uh, Roman, but, uh, one of the segments that we like to do is get, uh, uh, artists, uh, off the top of their head impressions and answers to a question. So we call it a lightning round. And so we're going to ask a question and, uh, just give us the answer that comes to the top of your, your, off the top of your head. I will do. All right. So when was the last time you mistook your drink for your paint water? Never. Never. See wow. that? It's you, the second person in a row that said that. Never. Okay. Mm. <laughs> Damn. 
right. What's what's the noise you make when you put too much super glue on something? <laughs> Sorry, I remember that from the class. We had to have that in there. <laughs> um so we kind of asked this before, but uh, true metallics or non-metallics and why? I actually paint a hybrid. I paint both in, at the same time, kind of. The techniques from both mixed, it's a little bit weird. Um, but I tend more to true metallic metals because I like to see the difference also when I have the model in hand, um, that the lights play on what I've painted. And I'm also a little bit, not I wouldn't say lazy, but I'm not too patient to really paint non-metallic metal. I do it once in a while. I taught it already to students, but my thing is the true metallic metal with a touch of non-metallic metal in there for the rules, like how you place shadow and highlights and everything. And I call it a hybrid that, that makes that makes me happy. Nice. Okay. What is German humor? There is none. <laughs> <laughs> All right, basketball or soccer? Basketball. Beer, wine, or liquor? Depends on my mood. <laughs> nice. Uh, what is your favorite sound to make while painting? Bum, 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 bum. First one that comes to mind. What model do you want to paint next? Uh, zombie diorama. Finishing the, the three little survivors that are important for the dramatic scene. That's what I want to do next. Oh, so the ratio is like three to four hundred? Three survivors, four hundred yeah. zombies. Oh, so three. I have a Yep. Please go ahead. So hey, yeah, so I have a follow-up. So you have everybody else painting the zombies. Are you gonna be the only artist for the survivors in? Yep. yep. Okay, cool. That's only me. Um, I will just use hassle-free miniatures up there. Mm -hmm. um, and at the moment, there are three already placed, like survivors who are actually lost up there. Um, and I had um, Kevin James White, the sculptor of hassle-free, sculpt something for me um, that I had in mind for the dramatic situation up there. So I commissioned him. Um, and he's not usually doing commissions, so it was hard to um, kind of... Um, make him do it. <laughs> um, but it the, the outcome was beautiful and I just received them two days um, before my um, quarantine start, started. So I'm sitting on on fire at the moment and really want to go there and to do, um, because then when these three are done, they are the main storytellers, narratives up there, and then I will see how much more I will add. Nice. Yeah. And if if it doesn't work at all, I would just remove all of them, place Batman and the T-Rex. And then... <laughs> <laughs> nice. Would it be Batman riding a T-Rex? No. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Or the other way around. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we just have a couple more lightning round questions. He goes, so while, uh, what do you do while painting? A, listen to a podcast or audio book. B, listen to music. C, watch or listen to YouTube, or D, you paint in total and complete silence? Mm, it's everything except A. Um, I listen to music, I watch some movies, YouTube videos once in a while, and I sometimes paint in complete silence. I just listen, don't listen to podcasts or audiobooks because I always got, I got so focused on what's going on there. Like my mind is traveling and journeying into the vision of what I hear. 
that I cannot focus on painting so much. So it's mainly music, sometimes silence. And once in a while, when I have to push through hard work, you can say that I'm watching, um, finishing The Walking Dead television series or something on my tablet. Nice. All right. Last lightning round question. Have you ever yelled at one of your miniatures while painting? Nope. Man, I guess I might be the I might be the only person. <laughs> nah, I yell at mine all the time. That or my brush. It's not doing what I ask it to do. Most of the time I yell at them when I'm trying to put them together. That's like my my huge weakness is that super glue just doesn't seem to stick for me. <laughs> um oh well thank you, Roman, for for being a good sport and being a part of the lightning round. That's uh you know we try to spice things up a little bit, as, well, as spicy as as Dan and I get. <laughs> uh, we, we just have a few more questions for you. We don't want to keep you too long because I, I don't want to be the one that keeps you from working on that uh, zombie diorama for sure. Um, but one of the things that you've been um, very open about, and I have to tell you, has hit home so many times with me um and that's kind of dealing with painter's block or uh life situations getting getting in the way of painting um are there some things that you could kind of help our listeners with like give them maybe some some techniques to try or things to do to kind of work their way out of those things and I, i'm definitely listening with very open ears <laughs> it's basically said simple you can say you need to learn patience patience not with with your miniatures or your techniques or something. If you have a painter's block, um, you need to learn patience with yourself. A painter's block is coming from something, maybe, um, oh, you're moving home and you uh, get distracted or disconnected to um, something to yourself, um, or you, you, you have a breakup or something, somebody, you have a, a hard loss and grief or something, uh, many, many things can can lead to a painter's block or you just um, painted so hard the last couple of months that you don't have any battery of painting left and you need to recharge this with new inspiration with something different so what you have to learn in this situation is patience with yourself there is no need as soon as you feel you have to force yourself to do something you will not benefit from it um, that's what I learned, and for me, it's also a job. So sometimes I have, I'm really happy that I can teach, that I love to teach most of the time. So there's no, if even if I have a painter's block, I can teach painting. So, um, but painting is such a personal thing when you sit down and, and work with colors and learn and grow that um, if, if you're disconnected to it, it doesn't make sense to do it. So, um, and do something else, do something else what makes you happy hang out with friends, play a computer game, um, watch a movie, go out in nature, go for a hike for a week, and do something completely different that recharges yourself and be patient with yourself. My longest painting block was for, I would say, mostly a complete full year. I did paint in these days, in these, in these times, but I really didn't felt comfortable with my painting. I had to paint um, because it's my job, um, but that's also where I learned patient or patience, where I learned to be more patient with my with my results. I have to I have to accept. I'm in the middle of a painting block now. What I paint right now is something 
other people might like. I personally don't like it, but that's okay. I do paint because I need to, it's my job. So I once in a while have to do my job too. Um, um, but then the painting fun comes back after a while. You just have to be patient. And this is actually, you can say I'm doing this now for almost two decades in, in the industry working as a professional. It's kind of a circle. It kind of, you exhaust yourself, you need to recharge. You exhaust yourself, you need to recharge. You need to find new inspiration. You can finish a certain project when you learn something new or when you grew a step or a level or you leveled up. So it's 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 a circle that repeats kind of, which is a beautiful circle. That's also something you have to learn with patience to accept this. Yep. Wow. Yeah, thank you so much for doing that. Dan, I'm yeah. going to step in really quickly because I want to make sure I ask this question. I meant to do it as a follow-up when we were talking about it before, but uh, um, you had uh, mentioned before uh, that you'd worked with a student on uh, Frank Francetta's work. Um, are there other artists outside of the world of miniature painting uh, that you look to for inspiration? Um, you know, I, I actually like picked up a brush and started going crazy after just walking through the Van Gogh experience a couple of weeks ago. And so uh, I know that got me fired up. Um, I don't know if there are any other artists out there that uh, you look to. There are. Um, for example, um, what really struck me was when I was um, in Madrid at Alfonso's place and he took me to the art museum there and I saw Velasquez um, paintings mm. for real time it was so impressive that i was completely like i was i mean we were going through this art museum and alfonso was talking for two hours we were close to um the, we were close to getting kicked out um, <laughs> you know, also, um but it was awesome i got i got so silent because i was so impressed by the the power of light velasquez paints and and uh, the strength of color and and the power of yeah, the power of light, you can say. It was awesome seeing these things in real. I also love James Gurney. James Gurney taught me a lot by just um, that I'm able to follow his work. Um, mm -hmm. He did the Dinotopia books and everything. And he's such a, he's really, in, in my eyes, he's one of the best teachers out there when it comes to illustration and paintings because he's just he finds the right words for me that I understand properly and that I can transfer to my way of painting and who's also a great painter I have to name him is Bob Ross I mean Bob Ross is just about joy and this mm. is the most important aspect no matter the, the his paintings or whatsoever it's also personal taste but how he transported joy is something unique and very important um, nowadays, I also it, it changes. I mean, I, I don't follow one painter for the rest of my life. I'm impressed by these things, but mm -hmm. what really struck me, I never got really into um, modern art. Um, but then in Madrid, I also saw Picasso, the the bombing of Guernica. Oh yeah, um, in real for the first time, and it's it's in in one room alone, um, like it's uh, nine meters and. Um, Nine meters wide and, and and four or five meters high and it's there alone in that room i went in that room and i felt all the pain he put in that painting i felt it even if, if it's not my style the modern art approach and i was close to crying in there which was really crazy i never got struck by a painting like this um 
this was really super interesting and fascinates me until today. Um, whom I also like is at the moment is um, Mark Majori. He does a lot of Western art, like cowboys and, and Native Americans um, paintings. He's also on Instagram, very successful, and he's painting these um, Arizona and, and Texas. Um, now we would say it's more Arizona um, clouds when the sun sets and everything, and he's just doing crazy paintings that I really find very inspiring. So there are many painters. I would even say, don't get me wrong, no offense in there. In the meantime, I do look at painters, canvas painters, more on learning something new than on miniature painting, because creating something in 2D, um, where you don't have the volumes, where you have to form the volumes with what you do with color and light, um, is there's more to learn, I would even say, than just from miniature painting. I mean, it all melts together. It's, you learn from drawing, you learn from photography, you learn from so many different things and everything melts together. But for me, it, nowadays, it's I do look more on canvas painting. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, that, that's uh, fantastic. So many different ways we can go with that. Jeez. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I was like, man, I can think of like five million other questions, but we're running out of time and we know that your time is valuable too. So we want to end the show real quick with um, um, with something that we do with everyone is the model of our podcast is better, braver, happier painters. Could you give our listeners at least a bit of advice on how they can t continue their painting journeys? Simple. Just do things with joy. If you don't feel the joy, stop it. Or change it. Yep. Perfect. Simple, perfect, succinct. Um, so, Roman, big news for you happening, right? You started an Etsy page, right? Like you have an Etsy Etsy store now, right? Yep. Yep. Excellent. Excellent. So, um, can you tell our listeners kind of where to find you? Sure. Um, you can you can find me on Instagram, um, Roman Lapat Miniature Art. You can find me on Etsy with my very young Etsy store there, um, where I mainly focus on teaching. So um, there will not be a lot of there will not be merch or something. It will just be about PDFs that are um, affordable and um, very didactical um, setup to certain topics. And this is a great interesting journey for me at the moment, and I thank everyone who supported me so far. Um, some art prints here and there, and um, then you can find me on massivevoodoo.com, the blog. Um, there is still um, a free tutorial section with over 450 um, plus tutorials for free. You can find me on YouTube also. Um, there's the Massive Voodoo TV channel where where you mainly find 360 degrees videos in 4K of miniatures that I've painted. And yeah, I'm on Facebook too, but you can say Instagram is mainly where everything, I have my, my own homepage, of course, romanlapa.com, where you see, see a collection of whatever I've painted and the services I offer. And But on Instagram, you can say everything comes together to um, a peak where you get most of the information, you can say. Now, is the book still available? The book is still available. I got around, um, but it's like we just had a limited print run. So that means I got around 50 left in the studio that I mainly use to sell on, on, on workshops. And um, and Mr. Lee's minis does have some left um, 
but I think also not so many anymore. Um, and he's sending them out from the UK. So there's actually uh, an art book that you can get, but on a limited print run. So check it out on mrlees.com or in Europe on pkpro.de or um, yeah, or come to my workshop and I sign you one. There we go. For sure. Excellent. Uh, hope, hopefully the Nova Open will happen this year and you get a chance to come and bring some books with you too. Um, it would, well, it would be I really miss seeing you all of you guys and then hanging out and talking about miniatures and drink a beer together and something like that. I really miss that. I mean, everybody does. Perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Roman, for taking the time to be on the show. It really has been an honor. Yes, it has. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. Dan and I would like to thank Roman Laplatte for joining us today. Uh, what an amazing experience it was getting a chance to talk to him. Uh, we really appreciate him taking time out of his busy schedule. I know things are starting to ramp up again for artists in this world as we're moving kind of into the next phase of whatever this is, pandemic. Um, you can find him first and foremost on MassiveVoodoo.com. Uh, check it out. It's got over 400 tutorials. I know it's not a video, it's not flashy, but man, it's sometimes it's just hell, it's amazing to have that stuff right in front of you, read it and see pictures and the people that have written them, including Roman, are all fantastic artists. You can also find them on Instagram at Roman Laplot Miniature Art, as well as if you need inspiration and environmental kind of joy, check out Tale of the Banana Whale on Instagram. He's also on Facebook with Roman Laplot Miniature Art. Finally, though, we'll say this too. We want to congratulate him on opening up his Etsy store. He has a bunch of tutorials that you can download. Uh, once that payday hits next week, I'm, I'm going to hit some more downloads on that. They are fantastic. His... Uh, his skills at teaching from the classroom translate into these PDFs as well. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you're not following Roman's artwork and his process, uh, you don't know what you're missing. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Listening to Paint Dry or on Twitter at Dry Listening. Dry Listening with Mike and Dan. Um, <clears throat> we also have a YouTube channel which is appropriately titled Listening to Paint Dry with Mike and Dan. I don't really know what's on it, but we have it. Please subscribe. Uh, please like, subscribe, or follow us wherever you get your podcast. If you can leave us a positive review, that would really help the show out. Right. And drop us a line at listening to paint dry at gmail.com. Hey, it's been two years. Uh, have you been there with us the whole time? We'd love to hear from you. Uh, let us know how we're doing. Uh, it would be really fantastic to see what you're working on. So uh, thank you so much. You know, we love all of our listeners. Patience is a virtue, but it's also the key to becoming a better, braver, happier painter. See ya. Listening to Paint Dry with Mike and Dan is a production of LTPDWMD. All rights reserved. No portion of this recording may be used without the express written consent of the host. The music is Death by a Thousand Questions by Springtide. Download from the free music archive on a non-commercial attribution share alike basis. All views and opinions expressed in the show are solely the views and opinions of the person who said them. All celebrity voices, if any, were impersonated and done so poorly.